And well, here you all are. I, I wanted to have a joke or funny comment or something to start the message out today. But as I studied the passage that we're going to look at today, I thought that maybe probably wouldn't be the best thing. Um, so I decided to leave my Dairy Queen t-shirt at home. <laughs> if you've been listening to pastor sermons, you'll know what that's about. In Hebrews 4, chapter 12, we're told that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, <sighs> piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Now, knowing that, every time we come to the scriptures, we need to be prepared for the master physician to start doing some work on us. Now, you know, it might be just as simple as popping a zit, you know. Oh, didn't know it came in that color. And other times, it's a massive invasive surgery that changes the very way we operate. Now, I don't know where you are today, but as I studied this passage, I realized that this passage has that potential. And as we open ourselves up today, I'm going to ask you to open yourself up with one simple question. Which one am I? Keep that, keep that question in the back of your mind as we go through the passage. Because we're going to see three characters. One that I know we can all identify with. One that, regrettably, many of us can identify with. And one that we need to strive to identify with. If you will turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. I've asked Jeremy to read this for us, so just follow along, and Jeremy's going to read this for us. After that, we'll pray, and we'll jump right into the text. Is this thing? Oh, oh wow, it's on. Starting in verse 11. And this is from the New King James, by the way. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all there, <clears throat> wait, and when he spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he had come to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and, your, and in your sight. 
and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older brother was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young, a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him? And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found. Father, as we come to your word today, <coughs> help us to be on that operating table before you. Help us, show us what you want to change in us today. Help us to answer for ourselves what you would have us do. And be with us today, Lord, and throughout the week as we take what we learn today and we apply it and put it into practice. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So, I wanted to start out with the character that everyone can identify with. Of course, I'm talking about the prodigal son. Okay, Jeremy read it for us. Thank you, Jeremy. But let's do a rough translation of what the younger son just said to his father. Dad, I'm tired of waiting for you to die. I'm sick of these rules. I'm sick of this farm. I'm sick of you. If you were to die today, give me what I would get. Ridiculous. And in this culture, this is not a slap on the hand offense. This is a grab that boy, drag him right out of the city, pick up some stones, and you stop chucking when he stops twitching. This is the, the, I mean, this is the seriousness of, of the question that the younger son just asked his father. Now, amazingly, the father doesn't do what was expected in the culture. He not only lets the younger son get away with it, but he also gives the younger son his request. And this boy, he wanted to fly. And fly he did, just like a rock. I mean, if we can compare life to the, you know, the best vehicle that you could imagine. I was thinking, you know, maybe a Cadillac Escalade. If we compare it to a Cadillac Escalade, he totaled it. 
to where if we saw the wreck, we would probably think he started out with the compact. And he, he finally comes to the end of the rope, the rock bottom of his life, and he starts looking around and he's surveying the smoking wreckage and he's in trouble. He's broke, he's starving, and he is doing the worst, most demeaning job that any Jew could do, and that was slop pigs. And when he finally gets to this point, he comes to his senses. And he realizes two things. Number one, I had it a whole lot better when I was with Dad. A whole lot better. But the second thing he realizes is there's no way he should take me back. No way at all. And yet, he hangs his head and he heads back with a rehearsed speech. Father, I've, I've sinned. I messed up. I blew it. I don't deserve to be called your son. Make me at least, please make me one of your servants. Have mercy. Now, I said that this is the character we can all identify with. And how do I know that? Well, to pardon the cliche, it's because the Bible tells me so. I think about Isaiah 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And then again in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Think about it. God, who gave us all things, including this body that we possess, the air that we breathe, anything that we see, God has made and God has given to us. And much like the Father in this parable, God mercifully allows us to go our own way. If you look in Romans chapter 1, God, and this is speaking of people who are denying the authority of God and even denying God's own existence, it says that it says in chapter 1 that he gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, and the list goes on and on. What we sometimes don't realize is that God gave us exactly what we wanted. And like the prodigal son, we blew it. And if we're doubting the seriousness of this crime, we come to a verse like Romans 6.23 that says the wages of sin is death. I mean, that's... <coughs> Another thing that I like to think about is that on no other part of God's creation has he given such mercy to any part of it. 
you think about it, heaven and earth, when God speaks, they have to do exactly as he says. The angels, including Satan, they were able to make their choice, but they can never be reconciled with God once they have turned their back on him. Only man, only humans, can ever be given everything by God, totally blow it, and then come back. Of all of God's creation, we are the only ones. Romans 5.8 God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Like the father in the parable, when God sees us coming, he didn't kill the fatted calf. No, because our sin, our sin required a death. And so he gave the most valuable thing he had, which was the life of his son, Jesus Christ. And his only requirement for us to come back, well, we find that in Romans 10.10. You confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not that we haven't messed up because we have. And it's not that we can do anything to bring us back into that relationship with God because God has already provided that way. Like the prodigal son, we finally come to the point of realizing we blew it. I took everything that God gave me and everything that he's going to give me and I have totally wrecked it, wasted wasted it, destroyed it and the only thing that I can do is come to the feet of a God who loves me and claim the provision that he has already made through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's all I can do. But here's the interesting thing. When we do that, it says we are brought back, we are brought into the family of God. When we come back in, in the passage just previous to the one we're talking about, I'd like to read that verse for you. Likewise, I say, this is Luke chapter 15, verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. When we come back to God, the angels throw a party. Not because we messed up. Not because we blew it. But because we're back and because we're safe. Now, I don't want us to get deceived. Just because we come back to the family of God doesn't mean we still can't be prodigals. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. We wouldn't be warned about that if it was not possible for us to be still 
tripped up by the same things we were doing, the same mistakes that we were making before we came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And, and I also don't want us to be deceived. It's not that when I sin, I lose my salvation. But I do lose my communication with God the Father. And, that's the, and we come back to God the same way that we came to him in the first place. 1 John 1.9 states that if we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're restored to God. We're restored into fellowship with God the same, much the same way that we are restored into a relationship with God. By turning around, confessing our sins, and coming back to Him. Okay, so... The prodigal, that's the one that we can all identify with. And now we're going to talk about the character that I hope we can't relate to, not because of what he's done, but because of what he's about to do. Let's think about this. The dust of the field is mingling with the sweat of his brow as the older brother returns from a very hard but very productive day of labor in the field. And he's, he's only got a few things on his mind. Supper would be really nice. A quick rinse of the dust of the field off his body. And then falling face long into his king-sized camel skin bed for some much needed and much deserved rest. But as he gets close to the house, it's obvious that the occupants have other plans. There's a party. I mean, this is a big party. And he asks a passing servant, hey, what's going on? Little brother's home. Instantly, he can feel the bile rising in the back of his throat and seeping into his eyes and across his face. His anger so quickly evident that that servant that he asked quickly runs to find the master because this isn't going to be good. And his father has to come out and plead with him. But the older son completely ignores his, his father's pleas and very vocally and very fully makes his discontent known. Dad, I have done. I've been faithful. I've done exactly what you asked, exactly how you asked, exactly when you asked for years. You know, when, when that worthless son of yours ran off and my workload doubled, I still kept going. And you haven't even given me a chance to relax. Now, He's home, and you're throwing him a party? He doesn't deserve it. He's worthless. Everything that you gave him, he wasted. He spent all of your hard-earned money on the most vile of sensual pleasures. He blew it. 
this isn't fair. Now, as Christians, especially if we've been a Christian for a while, especially if we're trying hard to follow Christ, and we're passionate about doing so, it's very easy to fall into the sin of pride. Hey, I'm, I'm better than that guy. I know I am. I've been given to the church for years. Faithfully. I know. I know that guy hasn't. Because I've been watching every week as we pass the offering plates. In fact, you know, I've got to be gaining rank by now. I've given hours to the church in ministry. I've helped the poor. I fed the hungry. Hey, Peter, Paul, yeah, yeah, move over. There's a new saint in town. Okay, maybe it's a little ridiculous. But I'm afraid sometimes we aren't far off. Um, Let me suggest something. If we find ourselves falling even a little into that mindset... We need to really start looking and taking a, a deep look at once again, once again at why Christ died. We already discussed a little bit of Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, about uh, the fact that we need to lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily besets us. But now you look at the start of verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. You see, everything that was required for our salvation and our reunification with God was conceived, produced, and finished by Jesus Christ. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. We need to be careful that we don't let pride rob us of that joy of coming back to God and of serving God. Now, before we go any further with, with the eldest brother, we should look at what the father said. What he tried to get across to his oldest child. Or maybe first we should look at what he didn't say. He didn't dispute any of the facts that the oldest brother brought up. The oldest brother had been faithful. He had worked hard. And perhaps even he was too busy to relax. And, yes, the prodigal son did waste all of his inheritance. And, true, from our standpoint, he doesn't deserve to be welcomed home at all. The father answers him with two statements. First, son. You are always with me, and all that I have is yours. 
Now, we shouldn't be deceived because faithfulness is rewarded. Galatians 9, or no, Galatians 6, verse 9 states, Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. And in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 10, we're warned, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. There is a day of reckoning. There is a day when faithfulness will be rewarded. But that's not what the Father is getting at here. He's not even concerned with that. That's going to be taken care of much later. And he, he reminds the oldest son of this, all that I have is yours. Yes, the youngest son blew it. You haven't. But then we look at verse 32, the final part of what the father says to his eldest son. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again. He was and was lost and is found. The point is not that the younger brother blew it. The point is not that he deserved it but the fact that he is home and he is safe. We aren't told how the older brother responds. We can only hope that he will eventually respond well to what his father has just told him. Historically, we know that when Jesus was talking about the older brother in this parable, the Pharisees were listening in, the people who kept the law the best. And they couldn't get over that, that fact that it's not that others failed where they succeeded. It's that sinners are home and sinners are safe. I hope we don't make their mistake. Okay. Now we're going to come to the last character. We've been talking about him a little bit as we've discussed the two sons. And now we need to talk about the father. We've spent a lot of time seeing how he responds to his sons already. It's an unprecedented act of mercy that he gives his youngest son when he doesn't kill him for asking for making the request that he wanted. And rightly, when we look at the Father, we see God. You know, who but God could have the patience to watch that son that he raised, that was born, that was born to him, that he raised, watch him walk away, squander everything that he learned, everything that he had, everything that he was given, and wait patiently day after day after day to see him come back. Who but God could do that? How his heart must have broken 
every day when he looked down the road and he didn't see his younger son and he didn't see his son and he didn't see his son. And finally, he saw his son. It's the same compassion that God has toward us. But now, just let one verse, this is the last verse we're going to look at today, one verse sink very deeply into your souls. The Apostle Paul tells us, uh, as he's writing to the church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, you are the body of Christ and members individually. You, collectively, are the body of Christ. And you, individually, are members of Him. Those feet that ran, not walked, ran down the road to meet the prodigal son, that's to be us. Those hands, those arms that wrapped around the putrid, defiled clothing of a keeper of pigs, that was and that is to be us. <clears throat> now, at this point, I can't say any more than has been said in a thousand sermons before me or will be said in a thousand sermons after me. But let us come back to the original question. Which one am I? As we close our services today, we're going to do something a little different. Uh, I've asked Jessica to play a certain song, and as it plays, we'll, I'd like us to take time to silently answer the question within ourselves, which one am I? I'm coming to you as one who's very much still on the operating table on this one. There are a couple days this week when this passage wrecked me. <laughs> Maybe today you're finding yourself the prodigal. For whatever reason. Isn't it about time you turned around and started coming home? Or maybe today you find yourself in the position of the older brother, faithful, yet weary of doing good. How about today we start regaining some of that joy that we first had when all we knew was that God loved us and I am saved? And you know, it's possible today that you've already, you find yourself already being actively the hands and feet of Christ. And this is the time when it is important for you to do so. Not because anyone's better than anyone else, but because as a body, we build up 
and we strengthen ourselves, we strengthen each other, so we can go out and do the work that God has for us. When this song ends, you're dismissed. I know that we love our after-service fellowship, uh, but out of deference for people who may need a little more time, uh, I'd ask that just for today, if we can move those conversations out into the fellowship hall and allow people to put themselves on the operating table before God today. Thank you. And when the song is done playing, uh, you are dismissed. Yeah.